we teach Latin and we teach it seriously, right? It's unique. And you're right. You're looking at me like I'm weird, right? But but that's also defining your culture. That's also sort of self-selecting the folks that are actually really thirsting for this education rather than the folks that are just coming to you because they hear good things about your school, right? And aren't going to actually put in the work to, to help their child be successful in the school. Welcome to Classical Etc. You're in the studio with... Oh, this is weird. Does anyone know where Shane is? Welcome to another episode of Classical Etc. I'm here with Tanya Charlton and Paul Schaefer, and we're going to be talking about Latin today. But first, Tanya, what yes. are you reading? Where's Shane? Shane, um, Shane is not here with us today. I am taking over. Well, uh, there's been a coup d'état here at the show. And uh, there's a scary thought. What have you done with him? Well, is he under the um, table? I don't know. I was informed this morning when I came in that I was moderating the show because Shane wasn't here. That's the tr- that's the truth of it all. So we're gonna we're gonna do the best uh, best we can. Um, we are gonna talk about uh, Latin today, but I, I, let's let's talk about books. Okay. What are you reading? I just finished this morning, East of Eden, and oh, I you've been working on that for a while. I have been for a couple of weeks now. Yeah, it did not take you long. No, I loved it, and I thought it was. I think it is one of the most brilliant. American novels I've ever read. I thought it was just beautifully written. I mean, it's raw and Mm -hmm. it's because there's so much. I mean, there is a truly, I was reading in the introduction about how um, a lot of people criticized it because they felt like it was not believable because of the character of Kathy. And Steinbeck said, this is, you know, basically this is pure evil Mm -hmm. and this does exist. And so, and the fact that her character is really, it is pure evil. I mean, she's missing something. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought that was all totally believable. I think if you're a religious person, you do recognize that there is evil in the world. And I thought he did just an amazing job. And on the opposite side, Samuel Hamilton Mm -hmm. and Lee were both just, I, I just felt like, it, the characters were so well developed. The plot was amazing, and there were a couple of little things with her where she—you thought she was changing, well, or if where she at least had some remorse and some regret and some recognition that something was missing in her that she mourned. Yeah, and those—I mean, th- just that couple of little things to me were just brilliant. Brilliantly written. <clears throat> now, Paul, you read that, right? Yes, recently. I Recent, read it recently. because Paul read it and Shane was reading it. Mm-hmm. And I read it several years ago. And of course, Steinbeck was really mostly a California writer. Yes. And so my wife and I had driven up the coast and then we dro- drove through Central California. We were listening to that book in mm. California. Oh, wow. Uh, and in fact, passed through the town, uh, which I understand uh, Steinbeck grew up in. I, it is hard to read. Because it does have the, you know, the scenes in the brothels are. Um, yeah, you better. We better mention that. Painful. To our, yes, I mean, I would not recommend this at all for even. I don't. I mean, I guess college is okay. You yeah, read, you read yeah. everything college in college, but not before. Not before. Mm-hmm. And I do think it just takes an an adult <clears throat> of of some maturity to get to get out of it. What what is there it is so rich right and that Cain and Abel metaphor I just thought he did that beautifully I 
loved the conversation that they have about names. When, Naming things. When, when Samuel insists yes. that those twins get, get named and them talking about, well, biblical names and what does that mean? And, and it was, it's a wonderful, it's a, it's the best, best thing I've ever read in actually trying to contemplate what it means to name a child or name something. Yeah. And I wonder <clears throat> where does Steinbeck fit in the total literary scheme of things? Uh, you know, I had, I had, uh, said when we did our Memorial College English trip, when I was, uh, uh, doing some social media on that while we were there, that we were going to Bath, which was the uh, sort of Jane Austen territory. Right. And I, I wanted to say Jane Austen, the, well, she's not the greatest writer in English, but then I thought, and I thought, her and Austen and Dickens. Um, I said, I said, aside from Dickens, she's, you know, the greatest novelist in, in English. But then, Steinbeck keeps coming up because I, the reason I said those two writers is because they obviously wrote, they, they wrote at least one great novel, really several, both of them mm -hmm. did. So quantity and quality. But if you apply, if you apply that standard to Steinbeck, does he mm -hmm. qualify? I feel like he does qualify after I, reading this, novel. but I loved Grapes of Wrath. I loved Grapes of Wrath. So, so I just started Grapes of Wrath. So, mm. no spoilers. I mean, I'm I'm a good way into it. While I was mowing the lawn yesterday, this is really funny to me because he was kind of decrying the tractor, and I'm sitting there on my zero turn mower <laughs> mowing my grass the whole time while I listen to it. Um, but yeah, so I've I've I read East of Eden. And then I turned around and read and reread the Pearl. I'd read the Pearl as it, like in high school, and I reread that. And now I'm in Grapes of Wrath, mm -hmm. and so I'm really going down the Steinbeck hole. Well, and maybe somebody who uh, who's not an adult, uh, of course, Grapes of Wrath is a common high school reading. Uh, some of his minor novels, so the shorter ones, you know, of course, of Mice and Men is very popular. Uh, Cannery Row, yeah, Cannery Row, Tortilla mm -hmm. Flat. Those are just they just I don't know. There's something magical about the way he writes, because if I had to describe what happened in the book, I, not a whole lot really happens. It's just this atmosphere he's able to evoke. Uh, of, I feel like in East of Eden, a lot happens. Oh, well, oh Eden, yes, yes. Well, it's an epic. Yes, and I think and, he, and, he really is dealing mm -hmm. with universal themes. Yes. It's mm -hmm. not just a story for story's mm -hmm. sake, like just entertainment. He really is dealing with... Right, what and, it means to be uh, evil, or how do you deal with evil? Right, which is kind of what you're not supposed to do in modernist literature. That's just <laughs> the thing. He's different from mm. Hemingway and Faulkner, and the, I mean they're dealing with with universal themes, but they're dealing with them in a very, you know, modernism is modernist novels are written like puzzles that you're supposed to figure out in class. Mm. They're written; it's almost written for right. schools, you know. Right. Whereas Steinbeck is not writing like that. Steinbeck is is writing for the ages. It seems like so. That's why. Mm. That's why I like him. Okay, so let's get to this topic of But you haven't Latin. told us what you're reading. I Shane always him. tells us what he's reading. Does he? Really? Mm -hmm. He does. Well, I have you not do been paying attention like Shane for the does past it. two years? Hmm? Have you not been paying attention for the past two years? I guess not. <laughs> I don't have to think about it. You know, I just sit here and people ask me questions and now I have to ask the questions, so it's harder. Um, well, I'll see. What am I reading? Um, I'm, I'm reading... Um, uh, Theodore, the second volume of Theodore Momsen's The History of Rome. Uh, Momsen, Momsen wrote a history of Rome that went from the very, very beginnings. He's talking about the sources of Rome linguistically, culturally, all that kind of stuff. 
but he ends at the uh, end of the Republic. That's the first volume. No, oh, there's like oh. three volumes in okay. the, in the in his series, and that ends at the Republic. And so when Gibbon writes his decline and fall of the Roman Empire, he takes up very very intentionally where Momsen left. Oh, off. really? Yes. Mm. So, oh, that's interesting. I didn't. I didn't. I, somehow, I thought they had parallel things no, going. No, one one begins where the other ends. Uh, did and, Momsen write his first? Yes, Momsen wrote his first. And so Gibbon deliberately, yes, deliberately. made that decision. Yeah. So, well, why rewrite it? Yeah. Uh, interesting. Yeah, and and oh. so so we don't hear much of, of Momsen. We hear mm. a lot about Gibbon, the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. Um, but Momsen was uh, he? Some people said he was the greatest of all the classical scholars. Um, and he's a pretty good writer. Now he does get into the weeds, particularly at the beginning. But he'll he'll tell you the this word in Latin, and and he'll give you the little history of the word, uh. and and you find out that there's Sanskrit back in there, and there's we mm-hmm. don't there's so much we don't know about language and what it says about our culture. So, but I, that's what I've been reading, and okay. I've been very much enjoying that. And I'm still trying to uh, finish the Three Musketeers. So, oh yes, yes. All right. Well, so let's turn to Latin. Okay. All right. <clears throat> you know why we're doing this? I'm just the moderator. Why <laughs> should I know? What, what, why are we doing this? Well, we have to do it because Paul and I were supposed to give a session on this at the end of teacher training on Friday afternoon, and he flaked out on me and left oh, me at the very last minute to do to talk for an hour by myself. And you can imagine how difficult that was for me yeah, to Tanya keep a conversation every going. Every minute trying mm-hmm. to come up for with something hour. new to say. For an hour, but I managed to do it and never even got to Paul's content. <laughs> I had given her my notes, <laughs> but as I a help. never even looked at them and because she, I didn't. My hour was up, and there you go. Those people didn't want to stay late. Well, so in a nutshell, what did you say? Oh, I talked about how Cheryl Lowe um, made Latin the center of Highlands Latin School, and how she managed to to make it the culture of the school and all the different things that she did. And then I opened it for Q&A and we had a very nice discussion, but we didn't deal with any of, Paul was doing a more objective why your school should be centered on Latin. And I was supposed to talk about how we did it here. So we've all missed why, why would we want our school to be centered on Latin? You give a sort of historical account. I did. Yeah. I did. I did. This is how we did it, and but not why we should have done it. Mm-hmm. Like, why did yeah. Cheryl Lowe do it? Well, and and a distinction between this, it wasn't like my part wasn't supposed to be why one should study Latin, but why this should be like the linchpin of your school. Why this this everything should revolve around that. So we're going to let Paul tell us now. Okay. Well, why don't you why don't you explain that? Why is it? The oh, geez. You mean we, uh, I could monologue for twenty minutes, but let me just say. Oh, I'm sure Martin and I will have things <laughs> to say. Um. Well, first of all, there's you you want some sort of unity in what you study, right? Because if if a student goes into every single class <clears throat> thinking that this doesn't touch anything else then you just have a bunch of random knowledge but not but not a vision of the world in which everything is integrated and and what is the one thing that integrates our understanding of the world it's language right and so and having a language which is foundational to ours that is going to you know help us in not only in our linguistic skills our grammar all that other stuff but it's going to touch you know our science it's going to touch our uh you know our literature studies our history all of that so by studying that one 
that having that one field of study, which is our, which is our core, <clears throat> we end up with a. So why why is Latin the best thing to do for that? Um, why not another language? Because because of the Latinate roots of our language. So we have so many derivatives that are coming into languages. It's it it, it is also extremely regular. So insofar as our grammar study. We're getting a we're getting a regular, uh, an experience with a regular language instead of one that is defined by its exceptions, like Greek. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, but you you're getting me into my why Latin talk now, not why Latin is center of my school. Okay, right. We could we when we've <clears throat> talked about that, I think. Well, and before. it was it was used in Western education. Could we could we add to that? Oh, sure. There's a tradition of it. Yeah, the tradition of it. So there's lots of Latin just terminology in things um, Mm -hmm. just because that was the language that we used as the the primary academic language. Oh, until recently. Oh, yeah. Sure. All right. So so go go tell us, Tanya, go go more into what you uh, said to for an hour (laughs) to these uh, poor teachers. Well, um, I was just talking about how, you know, Latin was absolutely central to Cheryl Lowe's vision for, I mean, she started her school in a living room with Latina Christiana, which she wrote so that young students could do Latin because she felt like it was, it needed to start there. And it was so central to everything, to the fact, like it became the foundation of the school. She even put it in the name and I just talked about all the different ways, like, you know, the national Latin exam and she would have a Latin banquet that said, Mm -hmm. congratulations students on the national Latin exam. And they would all, she would give them their awards and they would stand around her and there would be a picture taken of each class with her. Just, um, she just really worked hard to make it the center. And we don't have to do, we still take the NLE, but we don't need a Latin banquet now to celebrate it and to show parents the importance of it because she managed to establish that. But but this is all very, I mean, it sounds all very institutional, but I want to stress that this also should apply to the homeschool, that Latin should be central. It was central in my homeschool. It was central in your homeschool that it's it's not just making it part of an institution, but it's making it part of your child's education, central to your child's education. Well, well didn't didn't she begin by just teaching her two boys, Brian and Andy? Yes, and I think she didn't she, she did. start writing the program. I think when, she did because the only Latin courses out there were for adults. Right. I mean, when Nick, my oldest son, was in her Latin class in the fifth grade, he was in Henley. Mm-hmm. And it was not pleasant. Yeah, I did that too. Yes. Yeah, Latina Cristiana one, then two, then Henley in fifth grade. Mm. Yeah, that was that. That was hard. Yeah, I forgot but you were one of her students. I, I was. I wished I was there as a teacher at that time. I I'm could have done thank, something with you. Thank my you lucky stars. You did so stars. much with Nick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but I starting Latin in third grade, and my and I was the youngest in my family, and my older two sisters had had done Latin and were continuing to do Latin. I mean, in a homeschool setting, I thought everybody did Latin. Like it was, it was the core to the degree that it was like when when I found out other people didn't do do Latin, I was like, "That's really weird." Yes, I think you're my, weird. Like I'm the I'm the 
I'm the normal one here over here studying Latin. I feel like my kids had that same experience. <laughs> it's like, yeah, well, wait, and that, that's, everybody's not. Because, because that's one of the questions you get from parents is, well, okay, I don't think my child's going to want to learn that. Well, why, how does he even, if you're homeschooling particularly, mm-hmm. how does he even know that not everybody else in the world doesn't Isn't do this? doing it, mm-hmm. that's right. right. Don't even tell them. Just say, yeah. well, we're doing school in Latin. It's Latin. part of your school. It's just part of your school. So, right. just, yeah. yeah, to the point where, as you mentioned, it's sort of, it's taken for granted. Now. Right. And it, and it does affect every subject. It mm-hmm. does, you know, the orderliness of it, the discipline of it is a big help, I think, with math. Yeah, the memory those, muscles that it, it forces you to practice. Right. So it's not just we're going to learn Latin, but it really does become such a cohesive part of the curriculum in itself. The students, when they read, I mean, I've witnessed it in my own classrooms where they they start recognizing words that they don't know, but they can figure out the meaning of because they know the Latin root. And that happens young. Mm-hmm. You know, after Prima Latina, we work so hard in Prima Latina in second grade with derivatives that they start finding them in third grade when they're reading Charlotte's Web. They find those derivatives, and it just really changes the way they, their brains work. One of, the, one of the things that I point out to parents is that uh, just to give them uh, a better vision of where Latin actually fits in with the rest of things is that, you know, on your on the quantitative, mathematical, scientific side of your curriculum, math is the central subject. That is the thing, uh, that, that's the tool that you're using throughout everything you do on the, on the scientific so, side. So like, like when we have discussions, which I don't really understand, about how can I do this science course, how much math do I need before mm-hmm. I do physics, how much, like, mm-hmm. it's like a dance, really, where right. your math has to be at a certain level before you can do upper-level science. Right. I mean, <clears throat> there's math and experiment. Those are the two things you're using on, this, on, on the scientific side. But that's, <clears throat> that's your central quantitative subject, mm-hmm. math. And so you look at your language side, one of the things I pointed out is that, and, you know, because one of the cl- classical education has done is it has... Uh, it has brought attention back to to organized systematic language study again. We we we're all over math, right? Uh, that everyone says and recognizes that they need to study it, but this is not the case about grammar. Uh, grammar is has been dropped, and so uh, really on your on your language side of your curriculum, the role of math is served by Latin specifically grammar generally because that's your that's your means of learning grammar. Right. Mm-hmm. Grammar's the thing is the is the organized systematic subject on that side of your curriculum. And I you know, I think parents get that once you explain it to them. Um because we've dropped the ball on that. That's I think what what uh you know, if you talk to people who really don't understand classical education, you try to tell them Organized systematic language study is the thing that classical education has brought back to the table because you all have dropped this um, and somebody needs to pick this up and Latin is the best means to do that. Are, are schools not doing grammar in school anymore? Well, uh, we, I think we carry a book uh, called um, The War Against Grammar by David Mulroy and we well, run an we article don't. in the in, <laughs> Well, 
We did it. Maybe we should. But but we ran an article in our in our in the classical teacher uh, mm. that was an excerpt from that, and that's his whole point. He was a <laughs> classics professor at the University of Minnesota or something, and he uh, he said I, I started noticing that my, none of my kids knew grammar. And so I went and I investigated this and here are my findings and what the Modern Language Association says about formal grammar, what all these other yeah. language organizations said. They're opposed to the teaching of formal grammar. And, and it's not like they don't have an English class. Like they have English class. But What are they doing? You know, maybe they're reading, you know, maybe they do a little bit of work on spelling or something, but they're not trying to teach formal. systematic formal grammar. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. because there's they don't see the need for it well, well i'm I not think, gonna make I their think, case for them i, think I, don't. I just don't. i think mulroy's argument and we don't have time to go into it here but Mul, Mul, mulroy's argument is that it's philosophical it's, it's sort of this postmodernist um uh, um idea about academics in general language in particular um well and we are just having students write you know, I guess it goes hand in hand with whole language. If you don't care that they can make a sentence or spell correctly, why would you care if they're using the correct verb tense? <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. It's more just be creative. It, yeah, it's more touchy feely. Mm-hmm. It's 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 immersive. Right. You know, those that's 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 what we get when when we talk about language. So let's go to Paul's second point because yeah, I think it's really important. Yeah. Oh, wait, the second point. Okay. So uh, you mentioned. Is an indicator to families that your school right. will be demanding. Yeah, yeah. So we, we have, we have Paul's you. sheet here, which we were presented with right before we went on the air. <laughs> and it says uh, that that line is an indicator to families, that, the commitment to Latin in your school is an indicator to families that your school will be demanding. Yeah. So when, when I talk to families that want to start like a homeschool co-op or they want to start a, a one day a week school or, or whatever, you know, or they want to start a five-day week school or something, you know, but somebody on this trajectory, uh, a common question is, you know, what do I start with? Do I need, you know, if I don't want to start with a five-day week school, don't want to have a full load, you know, and every single time I say, start with Latin because this is going to indicate to everybody that we're, we're not just here for the social, you know, we're going to get together mm-hmm. This is, this is, no, this is a demanding academic program. And even though we're going to make Latin something enjoyable, it's not going to be fun. So we have a, we have a button <laughs> of, with Tanya's face on but it. We're, says not wearing not it. Fun. we're wearing our Shane buttons. That's because, right. Except oh, for, you, let's stop right here though. Um, back in the day when we were uh, both teaching, there were two classrooms and they were right next to each other. Yes, they were. And one was having and, and so one much was fun. having a rollicking good good time. And the other the other was sweating. Was teaching. Was <laughs> <laughs> notice you didn't say fun. It was rollicking good. You know? So maybe maybe <laughs> learning can be yeah. rollicking good. We need a button with your with your face. Learning can be rollicking good and that's okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And on the other side will be learning is not fun and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, if, if you if you want to enjoy your education, come to my class. Um, yeah, so it's, so so anyway, we're going to teach Latin because Latin is it is foreign, right? But it, it requires a vast amount of knowledge to be to be not only assimilated but mastered, right? And so and and our culture still sees it as something that is difficult, right? The very fact that you say we're teaching Latin, families go, oh, that's demanding, right? And so you're. 
it's it's going to create a, a whole culture in your school or, or in your homeschool. It's not just um, a, you know, oh, we're studying history, and everyone's like, it, well, everybody studies history. It is like the first clue that that this is a serious academic, rigorous education, and it, and it's not only that Latin is difficult, but it also requires it's another subject, and you've already got enough to do. Mm-hmm. So you're adding Latin and hopefully ancient history. And so where do they fit in? What do you drop? We don't drop anything. Well, right. And that's one of the questions you hear from parents is we've got all this stuff that the kids need to study and master. And you're adding this other language in there. And not only is it another subject. It's a hard it, it's one. It's a hard subject and it takes some time. So why is my my child's time better used on Latin than it would be in all the other subjects that they need to learn. And that goes back. Do you remember that marketing campaign that Brian did? And it was when I first transitioned over to the press and I got phone call after phone call about it. It said, simplify your curriculum, Latin logic, rhetoric. And I kept getting phone calls. How does this simplify my curriculum? I'm adding Latin mm-hmm. logic and rhetoric. How does this simplify my curriculum? Would you like to answer that? I finally made Brian drop it because well, the phone calls were ridiculous. I, What's the answer to I that? I feel like Cheryl used to say that too. You know? Oh, yes. It um, simplifies your... It wasn't well, I just think Brian. Well, it makes everything... If you all don't know, I can tell you. <laughs> uh, I feel well, like... Latin logic rhetoric is the trivium, Right. I mean, effectively, mm-hmm. I feel like you might have been partially responsible for that marketing campaign, but you were never there to answer the phone calls. <laughs> that was planned. Um, yeah. <clears throat> well, for one thing, d- d- just just think about what it takes care of for you. Right. Uh, so we think that we need to teach children grammar, obviously in English, because we speak English. Uh, English grammar is an extremely difficult subject and it takes a lot of time. And I quite frankly think that it takes less time to teach it in Latin than it does in English. So that's, you're, you're, you're saving a lot of time right there, Mm -hmm. I think. And I think students learn to write, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. even though it, I know it's not a writing course, but it does teach students. They understand basic grammar mm-hmm. mechanics, right? That right. your subject and your verb have to agree. Like these are your, you have to have a subject and a verb to have a sentence. You know, what's a prepositional phrase? Because in Latin, you've got to have an object to that preposition that's going right. to take a certain case. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it forces yeah, in, them to know in, all in, of that. In, 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 if, if, if you don't have Latin, then your English grammar, you're going to be doing things like sentence diagrams, which I'm, I had, years and years of sentence diagrams. I never learned anything from sentence diagrams. And what they're doing is they're teaching you grammatical structure, which you have to do to impose upon English. Whereas in Latin, it's already in the Latin. The, the, the way right. Latin yeah. operates already, you don't have to do sentence diagrams. Every Latin sentence is a sentence <laughs> diagram, right? Uh, there's also, you know, what, what you're going to do if you don't have Latin is you're going to have, you know, uh, um, vocabulary roots and this sort of mm-hmm. thing. Which is another program. Yeah, you we throw have in no there. vocabulary program. We at have HLS. no vocabulary. Latin, not at HLS. Our, we yeah, do Latin. sell a vocabulary program, right? Yeah. But what we recommend for you to be using for your core homeschool is Latin. Is, is I always Latin. tell people you do not need to do those roots courses if you're doing Latin. Absolutely. It flat I mean, we takes have, yeah, we have it. them. We sell them, but uh, for people who really want to concentrate on that. Um, but it's not just. I mean, it literally does change students, and it becomes 
mm-hmm. some kind of base in their brain, some kind well, of foundation. Right. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say the other thing that we want to add now because we don't do Latin anymore is a thinking skills course. Oh, right. Like a separate mm. thinking skills course. He's on his soap, soapbox now. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I've been thinking about this one. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna, thinking about thinking skills. Yeah. That's a pretty good skill to be able to do that. Um, so, uh, I thinking within thinking skills, the Latin is the perfect subject for that. Again, on the language side, because really your two thinking skills courses, you don't need a separate thinking skills course. All you need is Latin and math. That's all you need. And, and Latin because of the structure of that language. I remember sitting in, 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 uh, this was over at uh, our other campus. And, uh, one of our teachers was teaching this, uh, uh, seventh grade boys class. And they were, translating, I think, something into English. And I just went to observe, and I sat in there watching this operation, and I thought, this is the most sophisticated intellectual exercise that I've ever seen. What, what you have to do to be able to do that, in particular, our readers may not know who don't know Latin, but it's a lot harder to translate oh. Uh, from English to Latin <laughs> than it is Latin to English. Yes. I mean, that's you, even just yeah. doing Latin to English is an exercise, a thinking skills exercise, but you go the other side, which we do, you go from English to Latin and that is even more yeah. uh, rigorous. I, I actually just had to point out to somebody yesterday who said, Oh, well, this question is really easy. And I said, well, look at, you just met, you just made like three or four mental jumps to get to that answer. Mm-hmm. And you just didn't recognize it because you've been doing Latin your whole life. Mm-hmm. And, but, but when you actually sit down and have to think, you think through every piece of information that has to be kind of calculated to get to that answer. It's a lot. It's a lot. Well, your, your two central thinking skills are analysis, you know, uh, making distinctions and uh, synthesis, seeing resemblances between things. Those are the two rock bottom thinking skills. And, and if you just, if you just try to match a Latin adjective to the noun it modifies in case there's five in gender, there's three in number, there's two, you multiply those out and you get 30. That's the number of mental steps you have to employ to get the right answer. So what, tell me what better thinking skills exercise is better than that. And that's all through the Latin grammar. So if you have those two things, so I would say in addition to vocabulary, grammar, also just thinking skills seems to me are a good reason. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, One point to move on that I want to make is that Latin is not, students can't come with preconceived notions to Latin class. They come with preconceived notions to history class. Mm-hmm. I like history. I don't like history. You know, I like math. I don't like math. But Latin is is still so far out of the ordinary that they that they don't come to it with preconceived notions. And then by giving them a good experience early on, they can they can easily become accomplished at it. Right by all you have to do is memorize some vocabulary. Right, memorize the declension. You know, and you're successful. That you're you're immediately giving students something that they can be good at. Which, right. as much as it's a hard subject, is what we're saying it's a difficult subject. But it's, <clears throat> but it's, uh, it, you know, when taught well, it's not, it's not something that's not accomplishable. Sometimes, oh well, physics is a hard subject. Yeah, and sometimes people can't master physics, right? It's it's that hard, right? But Latin is something that's accomplishable because we're doing it in little pieces, mm-hmm. little steps that are age appropriate. Yeah. 
Uh, <clears throat> Paul's third point is it creates a uniqueness. Do we have um, any idea what he's talking about? Well, I, it does create a uniqueness. I don't know in my case that I found that to be a help. I think <laughs> that still, I, I think that still when I'm with friends and they know what I do for a living, they still think it's really weird. And I think as a homeschool parent who was sending my children to Latin classes all the time and making it core to our curriculum, I think I looked like I had two heads. I mean, I really felt like you could see it in people's faces, like I was just some kind of weirdo or something. And I never really dealt with it. I just went on my way because I was confident enough to, you know, Cheryl Lowe had just convinced me that it was what I needed to do. And so I did it. And there was enough of a group of people, you and your family and um, families like Paul's family who were doing it that we didn't feel totally alone. But when you get out of that little bubble, you're looking like you're, you've, you're kind of half cocked, like what in the world is a dead language. And why in the world are you spending the time making your children do it? I just, it, it definitely creates a uniqueness, but I think it might be difficult if you don't have, and, I, and I'm hoping that we provide for people that confidence that they need to say it's okay to be unique. So I know you're thinking this is going to make your school stand out and it's a positive thing. Mm-hmm. My feeling about it being unique is I just I just saw the looks on so many faces when I talked about my kids they didn't doing think you were Latin. Unique, they thought you were weird. Yes, yes, unique can yeah, be weird, I, but it's yeah. okay. Yeah, I just feel like if if you're at a school that's teaching Latin second through twelfth grade, and and a parent looks at me and at you and says, "Why should I send my child to this school?" Mm-hmm. You know, you say because we teach Latin and we teach it seriously, right? It's unique. And you're right. You're looking at me like I'm weird, right? Mm -hmm. But but that's also defining your culture. That's also sort of self-selecting the folks that are actually really thirsting for this education rather than the folks that are just coming to you because they hear good things about your school, right? And aren't going to actually put in the work to to help their child be successful in the school. So, I mean, it is sort of a self-selecting uniqueness are you willing to embrace that weirdness? That's right. I, I, That's right. I fully am. Well, and I like your your second point under this, that students know what that what they're doing is special and rare. Once they get past eighth grade and they realize that not the whole world is in their bubble. Yeah. Before that, they, you know. They just think everybody's doing That's it. That's right. Yes. Once they get old enough, it does, it is special to them and rare. Mm-hmm. And it does make their education stand out. And we've seen that it stands out as in college applications. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> what do you say to a parent who they don't know Latin? Um, they're homeschooling. Uh, it's hard to teach what you don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, you can only be uplifted as Mortimer Adler said by something that is above you. How, what do you say to that parent? How do the, how do they teach Latin? Oh, well, our um, Latin courses are Cheryl. That was a big thing for her was that anybody could teach it and should be able to and should teach it. Mm-hmm. And so that was why she wrote Prima and Latina and First Form. Now, after that, 
it, you really may need Sue Strickland at the online <laughs> well, academy to continue. And and I wanted to mention that, like at, at the homeschool gathering in last week, you know, Sue Strickland, who teaches for Memorial Academy online, and she's, we've, for three, four years, we've been doing these adult Latin classes. And some of her students, these adult students who have gone all the way through fourth form, you know, like they, they get together, they take a picture together. They, they've really created this community of adults learning Latin so they can turn around and teach their kids. Yes. And it's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful there thing. Are, there is help out there for you. Yes. And there are, you know, if you have like a little Latin co-op, then the thing to do is just to encourage the, and even at our school, we encourage those teachers who love it and who want to teach further than the grade that they teach, that they continue on. We need a lot of people who know Latin. Right. Now, um, if you have a school that, um, say say you're starting a little cottage school for homeschoolers or something, and you need somebody to teach Latin, mm-hmm. and nobody there knows Latin. Right. Is then, it possible? Yes. Because it's mm-hmm. possible through the beginning courses for sure, just by... The teacher guides are scripted out telling you what to say, what to write on the board, but also the instructional videos is what I would do. If I had had those when I taught, it would have been, remember when Cheryl would write our lesson at two o'clock in the morning and bring it into us at five <laughs> yeah, to we, eight? We would walk into class. I'm walking in class, handing, having the lesson handed to me as I'm going in the door, sitting down, and I have to teach a class. Yes, on this. without but, ever but having looked at it. The videos you're waiting. talking that you would, you would watch the watch video. I would watch that video the night before, absolutely, and, or the weekend before, yeah. and I would script out what I was going to say, and then that's how I would get through it the first yeah. year. Well, After think, that... Yeah, I, I do want to say with regards to Latin teachers, I think we're getting more and more of those. I talked to somebody recently, I can't remember who it was, but they like wanted to major in philosophy, but they thought, you know what? Latin's more marketable. Mm. And oh, I, really? I, 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 that was the first time I ever heard anybody say that. They're like, <laughs> I know there's a demand for Latin teachers. There is. And, and so that's what they went and studied. That's uh, great. Yeah, That's yeah. great. Who, who would have thunk it? Uh, that there would be a <laughs> demand for Latin. Do you, you want a job? Learn Latin. Uh, there's also the so one of the things I noticed uh, was that the reason I could take the uh, the the chapter that was just given to me, the lesson that was just given to me, mm-hmm. and walk into class and teach it, not knowing it myself, was simply the way it was set up. By the right. end of class, I had not only taught them, I had taught myself. That's right. Yeah. And so I think that. I think that parents, of course, parents do this in other things. They don't, they don't, they think, they think this is a lot harder. They, they learn, they have to learn other things to teach their kids, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly with classical education, because it's different from what, than the kind of education mm-hmm. they receive. Mm-hmm. So, um, so if you have a program that is really well organized and laid out, it's, it's, it's organizing everything for you. You just got to do it. Yeah. You know, you, right. you got the orders here. Our programs are set up to, to so that they're extremely organized, systematic. Um, you know exactly what to do. So I know that when I when we started a cottage school in uh, in '94 in in Lexington, um, we didn't have a Latin teacher, and I raised my hand and said, "Well, I'd like to learn it. You know, uh, I'll I'll." I'll take that. That's the best way to learn it. It's the best way to do it. And I had, at that time, we didn't have, uh, we had Latina Christiana, but we didn't have the form series. You were doing Henley. So I was doing the Henley Mm -hmm. program, which is what the form series is sort of based on. And uh, and 
I just stayed about a, a semester ahead of my students for four or five years until I had 120 Latin students in my program. And the, after you've taught it the first time, the yeah. second time, so much oh, easier, absolutely. just like anything else that you teach. Absolutely. And it is, it is intimidating. But, you know, we can, homeschooling's hard. Mm-hmm. And so we can do hard things. Right. Um, being a teacher in a classical school is harder than mm-hmm. being a teacher in a school that doesn't t- have Latin. Right. But to reiterate but Martin's point, like there, there are programs that are written w- with the assumption that the person teaching this knows the material. Mm-hmm. And there are programs where that is not the assumption. Ours, ours, we do not assume that the teacher knows Latin. And, and uh, the, the example that I actually like to give on this one is the parsing exercises in the new editions of first and second form. Right. Like when we, when we first wrote first and second form, there was an assumption that anybody teaching Latin is going to know that they need to work on some parsing in class. And it was like in the teacher manual, but it wasn't in the workbook. It wasn't required in the workbook. And, and so when we realized that wasn't happening across the board, we went back and revised the workbook in order to force that activity because that's an essential activity to being successful in third and fourth form. So that it just becomes rote for them mm-hmm. that they have to do it. Well, that's in the, let's, 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 uh, let's close on this question. Um, is there a way that we teach Latin that maybe is different from the way other people, uh, other programs, other schools might teach it? Well, I would say number one, our goal is in fact mastery. We are not dabbling. And, and that does set us apart. We, we want to get through the entire Latin grammar and we want your child to be able to read original Latin text. So that defines what we're doing. Um, and then, and then we've, we are very conscientious about what is capable in a, what, what are students capable of in a year? So we're giving them very bite-sized pieces and, and building on that year after year, you know, it takes four or five years to get all the way through our program. But at the end of that, you actually will will be ready to go translate. It's it you you don't have to then go into a more advanced class where you're going to go through that grammar again, because we really want to get you through to the end of that study. We don't want to put you in a perpetual grammar and syntax learning mm-hmm. cycle. It's very systematic. Yeah. Do you have anything to add to that? Uh, there are some programs that teach uh, a very immersive uh, uh, spoken Latin emphasis. Uh, um, Cheryl said that that makes you hit a glass ceiling because you never actually know. And I did help a student once at another school because um, the his mom was a friend of mine, and she said, I just were really struggling with this Latin. And it was a, the Latin story that he had to translate. He knew no grammar forms at all. He didn't mm-hmm. know because I, you know, I started out thinking, okay, you know, you know this verb. So just just conjugate it out loud for me and we're going to get to when we get to this one then you're going to know what he didn't know any grammar forms he didn't know any vocabulary everything it took forever to do that paragraph and i said i'm not this is not yeah it's good this is not a good use of his time he's not learning anything yeah yeah the immersion method is like giving um a child an encrypted message with no cipher right Ooh, nice analogy Thank you. I, oh, I he'll have it. A, he'll be using it I in a speech. Now I know what we got you on the show. I, I, I'm glad it's been yeah. recorded. So, uh, yes. so I you recognize that I came up with that. Well, I'll probably use it myself at some point. <laughs> I just would like, as we close, to um, let Shane know that we've missed him tremendously. 
Well, I was going to ask I you, you all have buttons on here. Yes, mm-hmm. we uh, do. And they're Shane buttons. Mm-hmm. I, I, they are I, Shane buttons. I just assume, just for moral support, that you would all be wearing Martin buttons just to, you know, help oh, me through Oh, to help this you through this hard, hard moment. But your judgment through. is for Shane, and my vote is also for Shane. My Shane button. Sideways. <laughs> Upside down. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and we'll be back next week with a much better moderator. Oh, thank goodness. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Classical Etc. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you liked this episode, consider leaving us a positive review and sharing it with a friend. A huge thank you to the Memoria Press Podcast Network for hosting our show, be sure to check out all the great podcasts there. As always, I'm Shane Saxon. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Memoria Press Podcast Network, providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit us at memoriapress.com. To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.